Section 25 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. Section 25. Selected Poems by William Edmonston Aiton. The Burial March of Dundee from the lays of the Scottish Cavaliers. 1. Sound the fife and cry the slogan. Let the pibroch shake the air with its wild triumphant music, worthy of the freight we bear. Let the ancient hills of Scotland hear once more the battle song. Swell within their glens and valleys as the clansmen march along. Never from the field of combat, never from the deadly fray, was a nobler trophy carried than we bring with us to-day. Never, since the valiant Douglas on his dauntless bosom bore good King Robert's heart, the priceless, to our dear Redeemer's shore. Lo, we bring with us the hero. Lo, we bring the conquering Graham, crowned as best beseems a victor from the altar of his fame, fresh and bleeding from the battle whence his spirit took its flight, midst the crashing charge of squadrons and the thunder of the fight. Strike, I say, the notes of triumph, as we march o'er moor and lee. Is there any here will venture to bewail our dead Dundee? Let the widows of the traitors weep until their eyes are dim. Wail ye may full well for Scotland. Let none dare to mourn for him. See above his glorious body lies the royal banner's fold. See his valiant blood is mingled with its crimson and its gold. See how calm he looks and stately, like a warrior on his shield waiting till the flush of morning breaks along the battlefield. See, O oh, never more, my comrades, shall we see that falcon eye, redden with its inward lightning, as the hour of fight drew nigh. Never shall we hear the voice, that clearer than the trumpet's call, bade us strike for king and country, bade us win the field or fall. 2. On the heights of Killy Cranky yestermorn our army lay, Slowly rose the mist in columns from the river's broken way. Hoarsely roared the swollen torrent, and the pass was wrapped in gloom, when the clansmen rose together from their lair amidst the broom. Then we belted on our tartans and our bonnets down we drew, as we felt our broadsword's edges and we proved them to be true. And we prayed the prayer of soldiers, and we cried the gathering cry, and we clasped the hands of kinsmen, and we swore to do or die. Then. Our leader rode before us on his war-horse black as night. Well the Cameronian rebels knew that charger in the fight. And a cry of exultation from the bearded warrior rose, for we loved the house of Clavers, and we thought of good Montrose. But he raised his hand for silence. Soldiers, I have sworn a vow, ere the evening star shall glisten on Shehalian's lofty brow. Either we shall rest in triumph, or another of the Grahams shall have died in battle-harness for his country and King James. Think upon the royal martyr, think of what his race endure. Think on him whom butchers murdered on the fields of Magus Muir. By his sacred blood I charge ye, by the ruined hearth and shrine, by the blighted hopes of Scotland, by your injuries, and mine. Strike this day as if the anvil lay beneath your blows the while, be they covenanting traitors or the blood of false Argyle. Strike and drive the trembling rebels backwards o'er the stormy forth, let them tell their pale convention how they fared within the north let them tell that highland honour is not to be bought nor sold that we scorn their prince's anger as we loathe his foreign gold 
Strike, and when the fight is over, if you look in vain for me, where the dead are lying thickest, search for him that was Dundee. 3. Loudly, then, the hills re-echoed with our answer to his call, but a deeper echo sounded in the bosoms of us all. For the lands of wide Bredelbane, not a man who heard him speak, would that day have left the battle. Burning eye and flushing cheek told the clansmen's fierce emotion, and they harder drew their breath, for their souls were strong within them, stronger than the grasp of death. Soon we heard a challenge trumpet sounding in the pass below, and in the distant tramp of horses, and the voices of the foe. Down we crouched amid the bracken, till the lowland ranks drew near, panting like the hounds in summer when they sent the stately deer. From the dark defile emerging, next we saw the squadrons come, Leslie's foot and Levin's troopers marching to the tuck of drum. Through the scattered wood of birches, o'er the broken ground and heath, wound the long battalion slowly till they gained the field beneath. Then we bounded from our covert, judge how looked the Saxons then, when they saw the rugged mountains start to life with armed men. Like a tempest down the ridges swept the hurricane of steel, rose the slogan of MacDonald, flashed the broadsword of Lochiel. Vainly sped the withering volley amongst the foremost of our band. On we poured until we met them foot to foot and hand to hand. Horse and man went down like driftwood when the floods are black at Yule, and their carcasses are whirling in the Gary's deepest pool. Horse and man went down before us, living foe there tarried none, on the field of Killycranky when that stubborn fight was done. 4. And the evening star was shining on Shehalion's distant head, when we wiped our bloody broadswords and returned to count the dead. There we found him, gashed and gory, stretched upon the cumbered plain, as he told us where to seek him in the thickest of the slain. And a smile was on his visage, for within his dying ear pealed the joyful note of triumph and the clansmen's clamorous cheer. So, amidst the battle's thunder, shot and steel and scorching flame, in the glory of his manhood passed the spirit of the Graeme. 5. Open wide the vaults of Athol, where the bones of heroes rest. Open wide the hallowed portals, to receive another guest. Last of Scots, and last of freemen, last of all that dauntless race, who would rather die unsullied than outlive the land's disgrace. O oh, thou lion-hearted warrior, reck not of the after-time. Honor may be deemed dishonor, loyalty be called a crime. Sleep in peace with kindred ashes of the noble and the true, hands that never failed their country, hearts that never baseness knew. Sleep, and till the latest trumpet wakes the dead from earth and sea, Scotland shall not boast a braver chieftain than our own Dundee. THE EXECUTION OF MONTROSE FROM LAYS OF THE SCOTTISH CAVALIERS Come hither, Evan Cameron, come, stand beside my knee. I hear the river roaring down toward the wintry sea. There's shouting on the mountainside, there's war within the blast. Old faces look upon me, old forms go trooping past. I hear the pibroch wailing amidst the din of fight, and my dim spirit wakes again upon the verge of night. "'Twas I that led the highland host through wild Lochaber's snows, "'what time the plaided clans came down to battle with Montrose. "'I've told thee how the Southrons fell beneath the broad claymore, "'and how we smote the Campbell clan by Inverlochy's shore, "'and I've told thee how we swept Dundee and tamed the Lindsay's pride, "'but never have I told thee yet how the great Marquis died. "'A traitor sold him to his foes, a deed of deathless shame. 
I charge thee, boy, if e'er thou meet with one of Ascent's name, be it upon the mountain side or yet within the glen, stand he in martial gear alone or backed by armed men, face him as thou wouldst face the man who wronged thy sire's renown. Remember of what blood thou art, and strike the caitiff down. They brought him to the water-gate, hard bound with hempen span, as though they held a lion there and not a fenceless man. They set him high upon a cart, the hangman rode below. They drew his hands behind his back and bared his noble brow. Then, as a hound is slipped from leash, they cheered the common throng, and blew the note with yell and shout, and bade him pass along. It would have made a brave man's heart grow sad and sick that day to watch the keen, malignant eyes bent down on that array. There stood the Whig West Country lords in balcony and bow, there sat the gaunt and withered dames and their daughters all a row. And every open window was full as full might be, with black-robed covenanting carls that goodly sport to see. But when he came, though pale and wan, he looked so great and high, so noble was his manly front, so calm his steadfast eye. The rabble rout forbore to shout, and each man held his breath, for well they knew the hero's soul was face to face with death. And then a mournful shudder through all the people crept, and some that came to scoff at him now turned aside and wept. But onwards, always onwards, in silence and in gloom, the dreary pageant labored till it reached the house of doom. Then first a woman's voice was heard in jeer and laughter loud and an angry cry and hiss arose from the heart of the tossing crowd. Then, as the Graham looked upwards, he saw the ugly smile of him who sold his king for gold, the master fiend Argyle. The Marquis gazed a moment, and nothing did he say, but the cheek of Argyle grew ghastly pale, and he turned his eyes away. The painted harlot by his side she shook through every limb, for a roar like thunder swept the street, and hands were clenched at him and a Saxon soldier cried aloud, Back, coward, from thy place! For seven long years thou hast not dared to look him in the face. Had I been there with sword in hand, and fifty Camerons by, that day through high Dunedin streets had pealed the slogan cry, Not all their troops of trampling horse, nor might of mailed men, not all the rebels in the south had borne us backward then. Once more his foot on highland heath had trod as free as air, or I and all who bore my name been laid around him there. It might not be. They placed him next within the solemn hall, where once the Scottish kings were throned amidst their nobles all. But there was dust of vulgar feet on that polluted floor, and perjured traitors filled the place where good men sate before. With savage glee came Warriston to read the murderous doom, and then uprose the great Montrose in the middle of the room. Now by my faith, as belted knight, and by the name I bear, and by the bright St. Andrew's cross that waves above us there, yea, by a greater, mightier oath, and oh that such should be, by that dark stream of royal blood that lies twixt you and me. I have not sought in battlefield a wreath of such renown, nor dared I hope on my dying day to win the martyr's crown. There is a chamber far away where sleep the good and brave. But a better place ye have named for me than by my father's grave. For truth and right, gainst treason's might, this hand hath always striven, and ye raise it up for a witness still in the eye of earth and heaven. Then nail my head on yonder tower, give every town a limb, and God who made shall gather them, I go from you to him. The morning dawned full darkly, the rain came flashing down, and the jagged streak of the levin-bolt lit up the gloomy town. 
The thunder crashed across the heaven, the fatal hour was come. Yet I broke in with muffled beat the larum of the drum. There was madness on the earth below, and anger in the sky, and young and old, and rich and poor, come forth to see him die. Ah, God, that ghastly gibbet! How dismal tis to see the great tall spectral skeleton, the ladder and the tree! Hark! Hark! It is the clash of arms. The bells begin to toll. He is coming, he is coming, God's mercy on his soul. One long last peal of thunder, the clouds are cleared away, and the glorious sun once more looks down amidst the dazzling day. He is coming, he is coming, like a bridegroom from his room, came the hero from his prison, to the scaffold and the doom. There was glory on his forehead, there was luster in his eye, and he never walked to battle more proudly than to die. There was color in his visage, though the cheeks of all were wan. And they marveled as they saw him pass, that great and goodly man. He mounted up the scaffold, and he turned him to the crowd. But they dared not trust the people, so he might not speak aloud. But looked upon the heavens, and they were clear and blue, and in the liquid ether the eye of God shone through. Yet a black and murky battlement lay resting on the hill, as though the thunder slept within, all else was calm and still. The grim Geneva ministers with anxious scowl drew near, as you have seen the ravens flock around the dying deer. He would not deign them word nor sign, but alone he bent the knee, and veiled his face for Christ's dear grace beneath the gallows tree. Then radiant and serene he rose and cast his cloak away, for he had taken his latest look of earth and sun and day. A beam of light fell o'er him, like a glory round the shriven, and he climbed the lofty ladder as it were the path to heaven. Then came a flash from out the cloud and a stunning thunder roll, and no man dared to look aloft, for fear was on every soul. There was another heavy sound, a hush, and then a groan, and darkness swept across the sky. The work of death was done. The Broken Pitcher From the Bon Gautier Ballads it was a Moorish maiden was sitting by a well, and what that maiden thought of I cannot, cannot tell. When by there rode a valiant knight from the town of Oviedo, Alfonso Guzman was he hight, the Count of Desperado. O maiden, Moorish maiden, why sittest thou by the spring? Say, dost thou seek a lover, or any other thing? Why gazest thou upon me with eyes so large and wide, and wherefore doth the pitcher lie broken by thy side? I do not seek a lover, thou Christian knight so gay, because an article like that hath never come my way. But why I gaze upon you I cannot, cannot tell, except that in your iron hose you look uncommon swell. My pitcher it is broken, and this the reason is. A shepherd came behind me and tried to snatch a kiss. I would not stand his nonsense, so ne'er a word I spoke, but scored him on the costard, and so the jug was broke. My uncle, the Alcaide, he waits for me at home and will not take his tumbler until Zoraida come. I cannot bring him water, the pitcher is in pieces, and so I'm sure to catch it, cause he wallops all his nieces. O maiden, Moorish maiden, wilt thou be ruled by me? So wipe thine eyes and rosy lips, and give me kisses three, and I'll give thee my helmet, thou kind and courteous lady, and carry home the water to thy uncle, the Alcadi. He lighted down from off his steed, he tied him to a tree, he bowed him to the maiden, and took his kisses three. To wrong thee, sweet Zoraida, I swear would be a sin. 
he knelt him at the fountain and dipped his helmet in. Up rose the Moorish maiden, behind the knight she steals, and caught Alfonso Guzman up tightly by the heels. She tipped him in and held him down beneath the bubbling water. Now take thou that for venturing to kiss Alhamet's daughter. A Christian maid is weeping, in the town of Oviedo. She waits the coming of her love, the Count of Desperado. I pray you all in charity that you will never tell how he met the Moorish maiden beside the lonely well. Sonnet to Britain by the Duke of Wellington Halt! Shoulder arms! Recover as you were! Right wheel! Eyes left! Attention! Stand at ease! O Britain! O my country! Words like these have made thy name a terror and a fear to all the nations. Witness Ebro's banks, Assay, Toulouse, Nivelle, and Waterloo, where the grim despot muttered, Sauve qui pend. And nay fled darkling, silence in the ranks. Inspired by these, amidst the iron crash of armies in the centre of his troop, the soldier stands, unmovable, not rash, until the forces of the foemen droop, then knocks the Frenchmen to eternal smash, pounding them into mummy, shoulder, hoop. A Ball in the Upper Circles From the Modern Endymion was a hot season in the skies. Sirius held the ascendant, and under his influence even the radiant band of the celestials began to droop, while the great ballroom of Olympus grew gradually more and more deserted. For nearly a week had Orpheus, the leader of the heavenly orchestra, played to a deserted floor. The elite would no longer figure in the waltz. Juno obstinately kept her room, complaining of headache and ill-temper. Ceres, who had lately joined a dissenting congregation, objected generally to all frivolous amusements, and Minerva had established in opposition a series of literary soirees, at which Pluto nightly lectured on the fine arts and phrenology to a brilliant and fashionable audience. The muses, with Hebe and some of the younger deities, alone frequented the assemblies, but with all their attractions there was still a sad lack of partners. The younger gods had of late become remarkably dissipated, messed three times a week at least with Mars in the barracks, and seldom separated sober. Bacchus had been sent to Coventry by the ladies for appearing one night in the ballroom, after a hard sederunt, so drunk that he measured his length upon the floor after a vain attempt at a mazurka, and they likewise eschewed the company of Pan, who had become an abandoned smoker, and always smelt infamously of cheroots. But the most serious defection, as also the most unaccountable, was that of the beautiful Diana, par excellence the belle of the season, and assuredly the most graceful nymph that ever tripped along the halls of heaven. She had gone off suddenly to the country without alleging any intelligible excuse, and with her the last attraction of the ballroom seemed to have disappeared. Even Venus, the perpetual lady patroness, saw that the affair was desperate. "'Ganymede, mon beau garçon,' said she, one evening at an unusually thin assembly, "'we must really give it up at last.' matters are growing worse and worse, and in another week we shall positively not have enough to get up a tolerable galopade. Look at these seven poor muses sitting together on the sofa. Not a soul has spoken to them to-night except that horrid Silenus, who dances nothing but Scotch reels. Pardieu, replied the young Trojan, fixing his glass in his eye. There may be a reason for that. The girls are decidedly passé and most inveterate blues but there's dear little Hebe, who never wants partners, though that clumsy Hercules insists upon his conjugal rights, and keeps moving after her like an enormous shadow. Upon my soul I've a great mind. 
Do you think, ma belle tante, that anything might be done in that quarter? Oh, fie, Ganymede, fie, for shame, said Flora, who was sitting close to the Queen of Love, and overheard the conversation. You horrid, naughty man, how can you talk so? Pardon, ma chère, replied the exquisite, with a languid smile. You must excuse my badinage, and indeed a glance of your fair eyes were enough at any time to recall me to my senses. By the way, what a beautiful bouquet you have there! Parole d'honneur, I am quite jealous. May I ask who sent it? What a goose you are, said Flora, in evident confusion. How should I know? Some general admirer like yourself, I suppose. Apollo is remarkably fond of hyacinths, I believe, said Ganymede, looking significantly at Venus. Ah, well, I see how it is. We poor detrimentals must break our hearts in silence. It is clear we have no chance with the preux chevalier of heaven. Really, Ganymede, you are very severe this evening, said Venus with a smile. But tell me, have you heard anything of Diana? Ah, la belle Diane! They say she is living in the country somewhere about Caria, at a place they call Latmos Cottage, cultivating her faded roses. What a color Hebe has! and studying the sentimental. "'Tant pis! She is a great loss to us,' said Venus. "'Apropos, you will be at Neptune's fête champêtre to-morrow, n'est-ce pas? We shall then finally determine about abandoning the assemblies. But I must go home now. The carriage has been waiting this hour, and my doves may catch cold. I suppose that boy Cupid will not be home till all hours of the morning.' "'Why, I believe the Rainbow Club does meet to-night after the dancing,' said Ganymede significantly. "'This is the last oyster-night of the season.' "'Gracious goodness, the boy will be quite tipsy,' said Venus. "'Do, dear Ganymede, try to keep him sober. "'But now give me your arm to the cloak-room.' "'Volontier,' said the exquisite. "'As Venus rose to go, there was a rush of persons to the further end of the room, "'and the music ceased. "'Presently two or three voices were heard, calling for Esculapius.' "'What's the row?' asked that learned individual, advancing leisurely from the refreshment-table, where he had been cramming himself with tea and cakes. "'Leda's fainted!' shrieked Calliope, who rushed past with her vinaigrette in hand. "'Gamon!' growled the Abernethy of Heaven, as he followed her. "'Poor Leda!' said Venus, as her cavalier adjusted her shawl. "'These fainting fits are decidedly alarming. I hope it is nothing more serious than the weather.' "'I hope so, too,' said Ganymede. Let me put on the scarf. But people will talk. Pray heaven it be not a second edition of that old scandal about the eggs. Fidon, you odious creature, how can you? But after all, stranger things have happened. There now, have done. Good night. And she stepped into her chariot. Bonsoir, said the exquisite, kissing his hand as it rolled away. Pon my soul, that's a splendid woman. I've a great mind. But there's no hurry about that. Revenons à nos œufs. I must learn something more about this fainting fit. So saying, Ganymede reascended the stairs. A Highland Tramp from Norman Sinclair When summer came, for in Scotland, alas, there is no spring, winter rolling itself remorselessly like a huge polar bear over what should be the beds of the early flowers and crushing them ere they develop, when summer came, and the trees put on their pale green liveries, and the brakes were blue with the wood hyacinth, and the ferns unfolded their curl, what ecstasy it was to steal an occasional holiday, 
and wander rod in hand by some quiet stream up in the moorlands inhaling health from every breeze nor seeking shelter from the gentle shower as it dropped its manna from the heavens and then the long holidays where the town was utterly deserted how i enjoyed these as they can only be enjoyed by the possessors of the double talisman of strength and youth no more care no more trouble no more task-work no thought even of the graver theme suggested by my later studies look standing on the calton hill behold yon blue range of mountains to the west cannot you name each pinnacle from its form ben ledi ben Warlick, ben lomond oh the beautiful land the elysium that lies around the base of those distant giants the forest of glenfinlas loch acre with its weeping birches the grand defiles of the trosachs and ellen's isle the pearl of the one lake that genius has forever hallowed up sluggard place your knapsack on your back but stow it not with unnecessary gear for you have still further to go and your rod also must be your companion if you mean to penetrate the region beyond money little money suffices him who travels on foot who can bring his own fare to the shepherd's bothy where he is to sleep and who sleeps there better and sounder than the tourist who rolls from station to station in his barouche grumbling because the hotels are overcrowded and miserable about the airing of his sheets money you would laugh if you heard me mention the sum which has sufficed for my expenditure during a long summer month for the pedestrian humble though he be has his own special privileges and not the least of these is that he is exempted from all extortion donald god bless him has a knack of putting on the prices and when an english family comes posting up at the door of his inn clamorously demanding every sort of accommodation which a metropolitan hotel could afford grumbling at the lack of attendance sneering at the quality of the food and turning the whole establishment upside down for their own selfish gratification he not unreasonably determines that the extra trouble shall be paid for in that gold which rarely crosses his fingers except during the short season when tourists and sportsmen abound but donald who is descended from the macgregor does not make spoil of the poor the sketcher or the angler who come to his door with the sweat upon their brow and the dust of the highway or the pollen of the heather on their feet meet with a hearty welcome and though the room in which their meals are served is but low in the roof and the floor strewn with sand and the attic wherein they lie is garnished with two beds and a shakedown yet are the viands wholesome the sheets clean and the tariff so undeniably moderate that even parsimony cannot complain so up in the morning early so soon as the first beams of the sun slant into the chamber down to the loch or river and with a headlong plunge scrape acquaintance with the pebbles at the bottom then rising with a hearty gasp strike out for the islet or the further bank to the astonishment of the otter who thief that he is is skulking back to his hole beyond the old saw-tree from a midnight foray up the burns huzzah the mallard dozing among the reeds has taken fright and tucking up his legs under his round fat rump flies quacking to a remoter marsh by the pricking of my thumbs something wicked this way comes and lo dugald the keeper on his way to the hill is arrested by the aquatic phenomenon and half believes that he is witnessing the frolics of an orisk then make your toilet on the greensward swing your knapsack over your shoulders and cover ten good miles of road before you halt before breakfast with more than the appetite of an ogre in this way i made the circuit of well-nigh the whole of the scottish highlands penetrating as far as cape wrath and the wild district of etericilus nor leaving unvisited the grand scenery of loch Corruisk and the stormy peaks of sky and more than one delightful week did i spend each summer exploring gameshope 
or the lins of Tala, where the covenanters of old held their gathering, or clambering up the steep ascent by the grey mare's tail to lonely and lovely Loch Skeen, or casting for trout in the silver waters of St. Mary's. End of section 25